Welcome to Bravery Trek Run Ashore, a podcast for Bravery Trust in partnership with Content Group. Welcome to another episode of Run Ashore, the podcast that follows this year's route for the Bravery Trust fundraiser, Bravery Trek. I'm Mark Cooper and thanks for joining me. Today we're again joined by Brigadier Bill Sowry, who will help us to better understand the history and significance of Macquarie Lighthouse. Bill, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Terrific. Uh, So, Bill, can you tell us a bit about your career and background? Uh, For sure, Mark. So, uh, without too much detail, I guess, uh, Adelaide-born, Melbourne-raised, career uh, army officer. Um, I did uh, just under 37 years in uniform um, as a uh, civil engineer and as a, a combat engineer. Uh, together we're collectively known as military engineers, uh, served throughout the engineer units, uh, commanding construction and uh, combat engineer uh, units and was eventually head of Corps Royal Australian Engineers, uh, saw operational service in Pakistan with the UN mine clearance training team in the Solomon Islands uh, during the, the peace support mission over there and uh, in Timor Leste in 2009, where I was commander of the International Stabilisation Force. Um, I uh, finished up uh, as the head of Australian Defence Staff in London uh, during a most interesting time when we were doing the centenary of ANZAC, uh, the recovery of MH17 and a range of other uh, opportunities. And since then, I've, um, uh, after my retirement, I've worked as a professor at Deakin University Uh, I consult back into defence and I work in high technology areas like virtual reality, robotics and uh, additive manufacturing. Oh, great career. And Bill, you're uh, part of a a big family. You've got a number of siblings. Uh, Yeah, there's uh, there's five of us, uh, three of whom were all military engineers uh, and then a a sister and a brother who who took alternative career pursuits. So uh, we have have a long history in uh, in the military. My wife is military and my son's just about to graduate from the Royal Military College as well. Oh, that's great. So Pat's still in... uh, He's still working in defence. Yes. uh, my other son is also working in defence, so my daughter is the only one who's uh, not in uniform at the moment. Right, yeah. Well, thank you to the Sowry family for... Th- thank you very much. ...amazing service, yes. Uh, so, Bill, today we're going to talk about the Macquarie Lighthouse, which, of course, is a very historic uh, and quite famous um, piece of architecture. Can you tell us a bit about where it's located? Well, I guess, first of all, it's the first and uh, longest-serving lighthouse in Australia. So it's just south of uh, South Head, uh, a couple of kilometres south, in, uh, just near uh, Waverley, uh, in, the, in near Wallara Council, as we used to call it. Uh, so it is in New South Wales. Um, it provides, a, uh, I guess, that beacon that uh, at the particular time when it was built in um, ooh, 1818... Uh, that uh, as people were travelling from the south, uh, from Victoria, um, to New South Wales or to Sydney at the time, uh, they pretty much knew when they were going to have to turn left and if they were coming from the, the, the northern shores, uh, they knew they'd gone too far. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a lovely location for those, those that have been there. Um, yeah, atop the, the, the very high cliffs uh, there uh, in Waverley and uh, with a remarkable view, certainly... Um, to the Pacific Ocean. Yes. And I understand, Bill, that the current uh, lighthouses as we know it 
is not actually the original lighthouse. No, there's been a, a navigational aid there since you know 1790 or so, mm. um, and this for the first lighthouse was actually built by the great uh, colonial architect Francis Greenway, yes. who of course was um, uh, he wasn't necessarily caught with his fingers in the tool, but he was caught forging, yes. and he was he was actually um, sentenced to death, which was perhaps a bit extreme, and that mm. was later commuted to. Um, 14 years transportation mm. um, it made me think about um, all those school notes that I faked in my mother's hand, um, <laughs> but but perhaps signed Bill Mum Bill's mum probably gave it away to the teacher, um, but yeah so he was he was uh, as a result of building the first lighthouse he was uh, received his emancipation so he was, he was you know, given his emancipation by. Uh, Governor Macquarie at the time, mm. uh, with whom he had a long relationship and who, with whom sponsored many of his great works, including Hyde Park Barracks. And I think we were talking a couple of, a, a day or so ago about some of the other edifices yes. he built. Yes, so St James's Chapel, St James's Church, which is literally across the road from the barracks, and I believe that's the first church in Australia. Uh, yes. It's beautiful. Uh, so he did that. He did uh, old Parliament House, so old, sorry, old Government House, I should say, mm. should say, the original Government House, which was on Bridge Street, uh, and of course Philip lived in that house. It's no longer there, but where it was is a open area, and there are st- you know, different coloured stones or step, mm. you know, stepping stones, so you can see where the rooms were. So he did that. Um, he did um, the Elizabeth House out at Parramatta. And it was just interesting to think that Macquarie and he together turned what was a penal colony, a jail, into quite a pretty Georgian town. Yeah, I I did notice that at one stage, and I forget the name of the individual who wanted to sponsor him, wanted wanted to commission him to do a job. He wanted a repeat of a plan that he'd seen in the United Kingdom. Uh, And uh, uh, Greenway at the time said... um, uh, that's almost an insult. Let me build you something far better. Oh, right. um, and and uh, off he went and that's exactly what he did. And that contributed to the establishment of his name um, and becoming, you know, the, I guess the preeminent colonial architect of the time, yes. not, notwithstanding that he ended up in penury yes. um, and, uh, you know, uh, died a poor man. Yes, yeah, and we're not quite sure where he's buried because it was an unmarked grave somewhere up in East Maitland, which yeah. is terribly sad to think that... Somebody who was so influential, yeah, on the, the colony, we, we don't know. And when he was um, built the, the lighthouse, you know, I guess, you know, during that design period because he came out here, uh, I think, 1812, 1813, something like that. Um, and that particular time, uh, there'd been a great, um, the golden period of, of UK lighthouses. So, you know, in the 1750s, um, John Smeaton had built the Eddystone Lighthouse and um, Robert Stevenson, in particularly in in eighteen ten ten, had built Bell Rock Lighthouse with these profound, complex engineering lighthouses. You may have seen the pictures uh, of these great Atlantic waves breaking over these lighthouses, uh, and they're still standing today. But they set the standard for lighthouse, and he very much had those in mind when I guess he built his in uh, 1818 or when it was commissioned. Yes. And so before he built the lighthouse, I understand there was some form of beacon that yes. they had and so that there was there was a light that was there. Um, and then when he built the lighthouse, he was trying to tell people that the quality of the sandstone 
was going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, one of the odd jobs that I've had in Sydney uh, was as a young captain working on the tunnels, ocean outfall tunnels. And you can get very good quality sandstone in Sydney and you can get less good quality sandstone in Sydney. And clearly for the first build, uh, they got the dodgy stuff um, and the foundations gave way. So by 1881, uh, thereabouts, they had to recommission a lighthouse, uh, rebuild it. And at that stage, uh, James uh, Barnett, uh, a Scot, uh, was given the commission uh, to do it. So he, he oversaw the 20 lighthouses in his time frame, um, and perhaps a testament uh, to the colonial period and where New South Wales was going. He also built uh, almost 170 post offices, 130 courts, 155 police stations, 110 lockups, and the Sydney GPO. So um, James Barnett was uh, uh, quite a quite a the the clerk of works architect at the time. Yes. Uh, a um, proliferate uh, builder for yes. the state of New South Wales or the colony of New South Wales yeah. as it was at the time. And when you think of all of those rural locations, you know, even now when you drive into them and you see those beautiful old post offices and, and courts and things, uh, they, they, are, they really are the, the hub of the town, aren't they? Well, they, they make you often, often make you think about some of the architecture we have for our government infrastructure now and... Um, uh, how lacklustre it is in terms of aesthetics. Yes. So they really had a sense of history as they were building yes. of their time to do something that was enduring. Yes. And, of course, you know, they're buildings that uh, uh, built centuries ago now um, and still lasting the distance, uh, albeit with IT fits and electricity and things they didn't have then. Yes. Uh, but lasting the distance and often we do government buildings that last 30 years and we knock it down and rebuild it. Yes. Um, now, given your engineering background, Bill, as against my original accounting background, so I know nothing about light and power and electricity, um, but can you enlighten us perhaps with a little bit of uh, knowledge on the lighthouse and how it operated? Uh, okay. So he, um, when he, when Barnett did rebuild it. He tried to stick very closely to the uh, design that you know, Greenway had. He did have to make the lantern room a bit bigger to accommodate the state-of-the-art la uh, lanterns that they had the time at the time. So the lighting apparatus was described by the builder Chance Brothers of Birmingham as the most efficient in the world. It was electric, which was uh, relatively new, obviously, to the colony, colony at the time and was powered by two Demeritons magnetos weighing two and a half tonnes. Um, these Gosh. were driven by, get this, an eight-horsepower Crossley Otto cycle, silent horizontal coal gas engine at 830 RPM, a whole eight horsepower, right. uh, which was remarkable. Um, uh, only one of the, the, these Demeritons generators is still in existence, um, and you know, I guess many of the listeners would have seen it at the Powerhouse Museum where, it, uh, where it's on display. Oh, it is there? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, oh, sorry, it's owned by the Powerhouse Museum, but it's on display at the Lighthouse. Right. Um, the electrical apparatus was only used in bad weather, uh, and when the weather really got bad, the second magneto was brought into operation, producing about uh, six, six million candelas, the most powerful in the world at the time, which, mm. you know, I guess... Um, uh, uh, quite remarkable, really, for a place at the end of the world as it was, um, yes. but at the cutting edge of technology. And I think we could probably argue that we do a lot of that now yes. um, in, in doing things. 
Um, the power generators for the new light proved too expensive to run, and in, in 1912, uh, the apparatus was converted to vaporised kerosene incandescent mantle, you know, a bit like the one you put in your camping uh, uh in your tent. Right. Um, and with the connection of city power supply in 33, uh, the light was converted back to elect- electricity. And at the time, a, a smaller lens was installed. And this is basically the mode uh, in which we see it today and the way in which it still operates. It was fully automated in 1976. And um, yeah, at that stage, the, the lighthouse keepers who had been there um, for the better part of a century and a half um, not personally, um, uh, were eventually withdrawn in 1989. So uh, right. it's now you know, just fully automated. And, and how far out to sea do you think they'd be able to see the light? Ooh. Well, uh, not having been out that far, yes. um, look, uh, one would imagine um, 30, 40 kilometres. Yeah, yes. I think I've read somewhere that uh, you know, the original one was uh, about 25 nautical, nautical miles, miles, which yeah. is about that, yeah. Yeah, yes. So is there anything else interesting about the lighthouse or the legacy of the lighthouse that you'd like to share with us, Bill? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, uh, I did Google the lighthouse, the accommodation there, um, and the first Google that come, comes up is um, uh, you know, stays accommodation or booking.com. Uh, uh, now, I'm not sure if you can actually book them, but they, they were um, taken over by the National Trust, um, and uh, or the Heritage Register, and they they remain on that, uh, and they're they're managed locally. Um, the first lighthouse keeper was uh, Robert Watson. The lighthouse is featured on the the crest of Macquarie University, obviously named after Macquarie Lighthouse. Yes. Um, so uh, it's obviously featured as as one of the the icons. Yes. Uh, for Macquarie University. Well, it's actually amazing when you think about Lachlan Macquarie and how many locations uh, or buildings or things are named after him. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the man at the moment, you know, uh, yes. you know, uh, was, I think was him who brought out Merino sheep to Australia and, and you know, started our journey as, uh, you know, riding off the sheep's back, so to speak. Yes, yeah. Great. Well, look, thanks, Bill. Thanks for coming in and chatting to us about Macquarie Lighthouse. Uh, it's certainly been a fascinating yeah. chat and thanks, I'm sure mate. that our listeners have learnt a lot, as I have yeah. as well. Uh if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the series on your favourite podcasting streaming platform. More episodes are available that follow the journey for this year's trek. But for the moment, keep working on those kilometres and bye for now. You've been listening to Bravery Trek Run Ashore. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest episodes.